Hey, my name's Ron Moore, and I'm here with Maria Stockman, and we want to welcome you to Fresh Faith. Maria, before we get started, uh, we have been challenging people this year to read through the Bible. Talk about that, reading through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, so we are calling it Bible 2020, and we are so excited. So if you are already receiving Ron's daily devotional, uh, you're already getting it. So that's the best part. If you're already doing it, you don't really have to do anything else. But if you're not, you can visit ronmore.org to sign up for it. So every morning, 4 o'clock, sometimes Ron actually wakes up and sends it out himself. (laughs) uh, But most times uh, we use technology and just schedule that um, Unfortunately, I think that might break some hearts, but we do have the uh, devotional going out every day. Um, So Ron has done a great job of kind of just taking a snapshot of what we're doing um, in the the reading for that day. He gives a great devotional, and then then at the very bottom, it'll have the additional reading. So I think on January 1st, we were in Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the only reading. But then on day three, I think we were reading uh, Genesis chapters 3 through 6. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there, but the best part is we have an interactive Facebook group. So it's called Bible 2020. You can sign up right on the Daily Devo. And it has been awesome. So we're a few days into it, and we have had so much interaction. People are posting things that God is teaching them, questions that they have. And just to see a body of believers um, just reading the Bible together has Mm -hmm. been so cool. So I've just been loving uh, reading that every day um, and kind of just feeling like I uh, I, these people are sitting in my living room with me and we're we're chatting about it. So it's been really cool. It's been very cool to do it together. And that's the fun part. We can we can do this uh, together. Hey, I want to do a shameless plug as well. We have a book yes. called Worn Out by Obedience. Yes. Uh, it's a book uh, for those who are just uh, spiritually tired, soul weary in their journey. And uh, you can go to Amazon and get that book. And uh, we would uh, encourage you to do that. And uh, any comments you have, I actually talked with a guy uh, who read the book. I talked with him uh, this week and he had read the book and uh, he was going through a challenging time and and he said he just felt lost. So he gave me an email, and we were able to talk a little bit. So it was fun yeah. to to see uh, some some fruit yeah. uh, come from that. I, I love We're Not By Obedience, and I tell people about that all the time because I feel like, you know, you can be in a position like you, Ron. You're the lead pastor. You're, you're doing ministry. You go to work every day at the church. But you can be in a job that you're just like, okay, I am trying to be a good Christian and I work in the secular world and, or I'm trying to raise my family or or, I'm in school or whatever your situation is. And you can just feel like I'm tired. And I think sometimes people are scared Mm. to say that because Mm -hmm. that's like, oh, I'm not good enough. And I love that. I think we're not by obedience really, um, kind of strips a lot of that back. You've you tell some great stories in there, um, people in our congregation, people that you've met over the years of just these normal people that are just worn out and just need some refreshing in their spiritual life. And so it's a great book. Um, no matter what stage of life you're in, um, what stage of your walk in, you're in, um, check out Amazon um, and Worn Out by Obedience is right. available there. And uh, it's a great book. Shameless, shameless plug. Another one. No. Just oh, that just one that one. Okay, good. Play. I was like, oh, yeah, I like it. It's good. Hey, I'm excited today for the interview that yes. uh, we're going to do. Stephanie Roussel. Yes. I met Stephanie when she was, man, 17 or 18 years old. She was an exchange student from France. Uh, she came over and uh, she stayed with some very good friends of ours uh, here at the Bible Chapel. She started attending the Bible Chapel. She came to Christ here was baptized here and man it was it's been so fun to watch her journey through the years and we get to talk uh, to Stephanie, and she's actually started a ministry so tell us a little bit about Stephanie and what we're going to hear today yeah so Stephanie has this podcast called Gospel Spice. Uh, so Stephanie is already the uh, minis- the women's leader um, in her church. So she she leads and direct the women's ministry there. Uh, she has a, a blog. And so she was um, just really thinking that she wanted to reach out and start doing a podcast. And it's called Gospel Spice. And it's available anywhere where you listen to podcasts. But it's so cool because I just love some of her first uh, episodes where she talks about how, you know, when we're listening to or reading the Bible and we're reading Matthew, you know, Matthew talks about something, you know, like something that they the, the Jews would know to do about the Sabbath. And if you're 
Jewish, you understand that. If you if you understand what's happening in that day and age, you're like, okay, so that means X, Y, Z. So that would be, imagine, you know, if someone from Jesus's time um, when he was on earth was here with us today and I said, oh yeah, I'm going to tweet about that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to understand what that means. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, when I say that to you, you have all that context and that background and it's, it's so fascinating. So she's really just bringing out the flavors of what the original writers meant when they wrote those words. And it is just mm-hmm. so cool. Um, and you know, like, like Ron said, she, she was a French, uh, exchange student. So listening to her voice is just calming and exciting at the same time. I just, I think her podcast is great. So you can check that out at gospel-spice.com. And like I said, it's anywhere that podcasts are available. That's her podcast. And we're going to uh, have that conversation with her right now. Welcome back to Fresh Faith, a podcast from the Bible Chapel. Our guest today, Stephanie Roussel, is a longtime family member of the Bible Chapel. We'll talk more about that with Stephanie and Ron. It's such a cool story. One of my favorite things that Stephanie talks about today is the truth that God displays his trustworthiness time and time again. I can't wait for you to hear this episode, so let's dive right in. Well, Stephanie, welcome to uh, our podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's so, for me, you know, Stephanie, I first met you when you were like 16 years old. Yes, ages ago. Well, no, just a few years just ago. Just a couple right? years just ago. Just a couple yeah, years yeah. ago, right. Yeah, not ages at all. Uh, you look the same. I've changed a little bit, but you look the same. Uh, and uh, since that time, uh, you have been on an amazing journey. Uh, you're an author. You have a podcast. You uh, lead uh, the women. Uh, you're a women's director at your church. And so God has been doing some tremendous things in your life. And uh, we're really excited to, to meet and talk because we wanted, we wanted uh, to hear your story, and uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing story. So what I want to do is uh, go back, and you're, you're from France. Uh, mm-hmm. People were gonna, are going to pick up on that pretty quickly. I, I loved what you said about you tr- you've worked all these years to lose your accent, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I've tried for just a couple of years, you know, yeah. that we're talking about, which is over two decades, yeah. and I am i can't get rid of it. I've been trying time and time again, and then I finally decided I've got more important things to do with my time right. than trying to get rid of the accent, right. and people keep telling me they like it, so yeah. that's it. No one <laughs> says they like an Oklahoma accent. <laughs> Never heard that. Oh, come on. So, <laughs> so still Stephanie, no one says it. Still no one says it. <laughs> Is he telling us we should say it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was just an invite. Right, right. Yeah. But no one took We're the invite. Pass. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, well, the French like the American accent in general, so I'm sure they would like yeah. yours too. There you well, go. Come to France and we'll you. like your accent. <laughs> so I, have to go, I have to go a long way for anyone to like my, my accent. So, uh, Stephanie, um, your story begins in France. And your story begins at a time when you didn't even believe God existed. You were raised uh, and and uh, and held deeply to um, to atheism. Talk talk about those beginnings early in your right. life. Right. So I yes, it wasn't just being agnostic, which you know people who question or who say they haven't made up their mind. It's more that I was raised in a family, especially my father, who was a very strong atheist. Interestingly, he grew up with a Catholic family, and his mother was a strong Catholic believer, but he himself had really embraced atheism, and uh, that's the values that he taught us. Mm. He was very much advocating for that, and because I was, I wanted to please daddy, I think, and mm-hmm. every little girl does that. I really embraced that, and so by the age of, by the age of sixteen, I had embraced that worldview. And so, for example, you know, Stephen Hawking was one of my heroes. So yeah. I would read this, and I would really wholeheartedly agree um, that the that religion in general and Christianity in particular which I hadn't really delved into, but it really was a crutch, a man-made crutch for the week, and that I didn't need that. Thank you very much. I was very strong and capable, and I could manage life on my own. Mm -hmm. And atheism promotes that idea that man is self-sufficient and Mm -hmm. that God obviously does not exist and is even a liability. And so I was very happy to embrace all of that. Uh, did you have a good relationship with your dad? How, how did that? Well, um, you know, it's it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my dad uh, was a, is an alcoholic, and so mm-hmm. my parents got divorced, and um, I really was trying very hard to please him and gain his approval, which might be 
because I never really did gain it might be part of the reason why the idea of God as a father was a bit of a troubling mm. thing for me. And it's one of the most beautiful uh, aspects of Christianity. Mm-hmm. He um, would, it didn't matter what I did. It was never enough. And the approval bar always rose. It didn't mm-hmm. matter how good my grades were or how I managed. It was never mm-hmm. good enough. And even though he was my hero, and I think every little girl has her daddy as her hero, I think at the end of the day, unfortunately, he was not able to love me back. He only loved himself through the people around him. And so... Mm-hmm. It makes for a very sad stories in so many ways. Um, and I still grieve that he is still that way today. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he, yeah, he's still very um, interested in his own interests and mm-hmm. no one else's. So It's amazing, isn't it, how we, um, we have this, uh, in God's design, mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, an earthly father that in the, in the, in the best case scenario, uh, really points us to the Heavenly Father. But uh, like you, Stephanie, I've talked to many people, and I remember talking to a, a woman one time, and her relationship with her dad was so bad, she said, I I love Jesus. <laughs> I just have trouble with this the concept of a Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what you grew up in. And and I don't know if you... If you um, uh, understood all your feelings as you were growing up. But as you look back, uh, you said there was a lot of um, kind of loneliness in, in some of, in, in a lot of areas of your yes, life. Yes, very much a lot of loneliness because I was uh, hungry after that approval that I wasn't getting. And so I would look for it in the wrong places. And the loneliness would creep in even at school because I happened to also be a uh, a good student, which was one of my dad's expectations. But sometimes when you're a nerd and you're you're smart, that's not the best way to make friends. Um, <laughs> middle school is just a rough place, yeah. and when you're um, you're just a smart kid and you're not necessarily very social it just increases the loneliness. So not the best years and definitely seeking approval in the wrong places as I got a bit older. So very lonely and uh, indirectly very broken coming from that broken, dysfunctional family where my dad obviously, you know, drinking too much and also unfortunately having a lot of affairs ended up in a divorce, which only taught me even more that I have to be strong and capable because that's what my mom was trying to do. And I just had to kind of do that as well. Mm-hmm. So brokenness, loneliness and looking for, um, you know, for the for relationships in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. That's where I was when I, you know, ended up in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you noted, too, and I know I know you're a, a, a very intellectual uh, person and and um, you were an avid reader uh, writer um, early on, you were reading um, Iliad and Odyssey. I, you know, I, I that was not what I was reading when I was ten. Yeah, and I think again, <laughs> honestly, the bottom line is I think I was doing it more to please my dad, even though I, at the time, wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. I've always loved reading, so yes, you know, he, I remember my dad bragging to his friends that my daughter is ten and she's reading the Iliad, and I think that just spurred me on to keep reading it. Mm-hmm. Which, again, at the end of the day. That's not how you you get your dad's approval, but um, and learn learning different languages, uh, the German, the Latin, uh, but also reading all sorts of books that were feeding this philosophy that we are in a dog eat dog world, and it doesn't. You just have to be on top, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you end up on top, even if it means hurting other people, because you know there's nothing after death, so there's no morals. So it's not. A very moral, ethical life. I don't remember being taught, um, you know, that ethics don't matter, but I don't necessarily remember being taught a lot of moral values either. Mm-hmm. Because as long as I was, I ended up being on top, it didn't really matter how you got there. Mm-hmm. So, not the healthiest of foundations, but that goes to show that God can redeem anything and anyone. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, you are uh, around 16 years old. Uh, and you decide that you're going to do a study abroad, right? Yes. How, t- talk about how, and again, now we know God's in this thing. He always has been, right? Amen. From the foundation mm-hmm. of the world. Uh, but um, 
you you got these things going on you got some challenges going on at home and yet you're saying like you said you're not very you're not that social because you're 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 working to please your dad you're studying and the whole bit what kind of do you remember what kind of sparked you to say i think i want to go um, study in another country so it was a very interesting story and god works in mysterious ways. I mean, we all say that, but I'm telling you, looking back, I really do see his hand mm -hmm. at work. So my mom was a teacher at the same high school that I was attending. And it just so happened, you know, it's how all the God mm -hmm. stories start. It just so happened mm -hmm. that there was this foreign exchange student who had returned from a year in the States and she was going from class to class to advertise her program because they were looking for the next student to send. And they were sending one student for my little town for my high school and she goes in my mom's class and she advertises it and my mom thinks of me when she's listening to this young woman who just came back and then later on during the day the same girl goes to my class and I didn't even pay attention to her because in my mind this wasn't the right time I had always known I wanted to speak English fluently uh, with or without an accent but wanted to because <laughs> at the time I didn't and I, I had always known I wanted to be in business I wanted mm -hmm. to have a successful business career partly because my dad had told me I would be good at it but also because it did fit what I was good at but you can't have a successful international business career without speaking English and without building a bit of a understanding of that other culture the Anglophone mm -hmm. culture so I knew I would spend some time in an Anglophone country and then my mom came home that night and she said, I think you should apply to this program. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I had math homework that night. I wasn't going to think about <laughs> spending time overseas. But one thing led to the other and God opened doors so that I was accepted in the program. And it was a full scholarship to spend an entire year with an American family. And that's how it all started. So you're thinking America, Los Angeles, New York City, Pittsburgh. Chicago. How about <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Well, I have to admit, I was a bit disappointed when I was told I, I was coming to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Because obviously, you know, the one thing that came to mind were the steel mines. Um, mm -hmm. And this was pre-internet. It's not like I could Google Pittsburgh and see what came up. But I remember going to... Um, an encyclopedia and looking at the pictures and it really did not make me want to come. Oh man. Yeah. And but then what happened is that the program had me very quickly start corresponding with my host family. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it became a whole lot nicer because they were real people and they weren't working in a steel mine. Imagine yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember when I was growing up textbooks and in my mind there is still a picture of Pittsburgh and it was like this dirty city with looked like fog and black smoke and it used to be like that a little, little so it's different probably now. the same picture i was looking yeah. at <laughs> so. so you um you're coming you get on a plane you uh fly over and you land in pittsburgh what were some of the first impressions that you remember when you got off the plane again god's uh, doing some amazing things here but uh he's just taking you through some normal stuff to get you there yes i remember my who would become my American mom and dad, they were there with their three kids who were all, you know, they were one, three, and five-year-olds, and they had a huge banner that said, Welcome to America, Stephanie. And I remember thinking, it's very sweet, but it's also very cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever told them, don't repeat them. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> they will be listening. I know they will. <laughs> and you're going to get a text. You know that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then I went to their house, and they had reserved the best room of the house for me, and they bent over backwards to be nice. My English was so broken that it took a while to start communicating well. And then within a week or so, I entered my senior year of high school. And that was interesting because this also happened to be my birthday, huh. which was, you know, they actually organized a very nice birthday party for me, which was very, very nice. That's but cool. very quickly. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that night, my American mom and dad did that. And um, it just, it was just amazing to mm -hmm. see their um, authenticity and their love for each other and for a total stranger like me. It mm -hmm. did not make sense. What struck me the most uh, over the course of the first few weeks was 
to watch this relatively young couple. I mean, they were in their early 30s at the mm -hmm. time or mid-30s. They were normal people. They weren't perfect. I would watch them maybe disagree, maybe even argue with each other, but then they would reconcile. And coming from a background where all I could see was a very dysfunctional marriage and family upbringing, this was such a contrast to what I had always known and what I thought was normal. It was very intriguing. So that was the starting point of God knocking at the door of my heart and showing me that maybe my worldview wasn't the only option. So you kind of start doing life. You're in school. You're seeing something. You're still an atheist at this point. Now you're mm -hmm. seeing some things in a relationship that's attractive uh, that you haven't uh, experienced. Um, people are, are, are th these Christian people are normal, and I know who they are, and they would have shared that uh, with you uh, openly but, but appropriately. Stephanie, as an atheist, you're here. Talk about talk about some of the first things that happened in your heart, where you said, "Okay, maybe maybe there really is a God. Maybe He does want a relationship with me." Kind of unpack that that your spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the first things was that I really thought that there was no way anyone who had an ounce of intelligence could have any kind of strong, real faith. So it was so cliche and so such a prejudice that I had against uh, faith groups that you can't possibly be smart and not an atheist, which was obviously mm -hmm. very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but my American dad would challenge me intellectually. I remember having, you know, midnight hour conversations with him when his kids were in bed and we would sit on the pink kitchen countertops in his kitchen and we would have those massive intellectual conversations and he was smart and mm -hmm. he was a Christian. How is that even possible? And then uh, Elizabeth, the mom, was so loving to me. Um, maybe we didn't have those intellectual conversations as much, but she was very loving and very accepting. She herself came from a bit of a difficult upbringing and background, so she could relate to some of my insecurities and my fears and my loneliness and my brokenness, and she could address that. So in some ways, God placed me in an environment where two of my most basic needs were met, which were that need to be loved and approved, and also that need to understand the worldview that I was stepping into from an intellectual perspective. And then little by little, they allowed me to consider that Jesus not only was a human being who had actually lived, because I was even challenging, maybe he was just a myth or a legend, but that didn't hold water for very long. But then the, the hard part for me was, I mean, the, the resurrection was my great big huge stumbling block. I very quickly came to an understanding that if the resurrection took place, then Jesus deserved at least a cursory look at what he taught because people just don't raise from the dead. And someone who does just deserves five minutes of my attention at the very least. <laughs> um, and that's been like 20 some years of my attention. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he gets all the glory. But I just, once I reached that slow understanding of that, I was faced with a question that I had to answer. Uh, God in his goodness had placed in me a desire to have an intellectual honesty. Once I came to terms with the fact that Jesus had truly risen from the dead, what was I going to do about it? Some people can just bury their head in the sand and keep living. I couldn't do that. And through several books, uh, among other things, I remember... Um, C.S. Lewis's Lord, Liar, or Lunatic mm. problem, because if Jesus truly rose from the dead, then he can't be a liar, and he can't be a lunatic. And he had said he was going to rise from the dead, so he's not just a prophet, he actually did it, which means he is who he claims to be, which is God. So what am I going to do with that? And uh, Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, was the mm -hmm. first book that at I read, and that really just inspired me to consider that, hey, 
you know what, crazy thought, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it, it's terrible, right? And then my life circumstances, because I was a 17-year-old at that point, given a whole lot of freedom, I didn't make very smart choices. And so here I was thinking I was so smart and so capable. Gosh, how arrogant. I mean, I'm so ashamed, but God is good. Uh, so capable of, you know, handling my own life. And here I am making poor choices that end up, you know, with terrible consequences, which was God's way of showing me, well, this is the life. I mean, you have two options. You can either keep going at your own life mm. and let's see what happens, or you can surrender to, to me as your Lord and Savior. Um, my problem was a trust problem. I wasn't sure I could trust God. Remember, father issues, blah, blah, blah. It was just kind of easy <laughs> for me to just say, no, you know, can't trust anyone who claims to be a father. So that was um, part of the problem. And in my heart of hearts, I also knew that there's no half measures. Because if someone who claims to be God raises from the dead, then he deserves my complete surrender. But that's scary because the only, I, I was not willing to surrender to anyone because that meant giving up control. And you can only give up control and surrender to someone that you trust wholeheartedly. So it was a trust issue. Could mm. I trust God? And I wasn't sure I could uh, because it didn't, I mean, him raising from the dead doesn't mean he's trustworthy. It just means he's God. But what kind of God is he? You know, there's mm. so many gods in so many religions that are really honestly not trustworthy. Mm. So I did something that I'm not very proud of and it's the most lousy conversion story you could ever hear <laughs> because at that point, I remember I was tossing and turning in bed one night. I couldn't sleep. And I knew, I knew God was real. I knew Jesus was wanting to be my Lord and my Savior, but I was just very much afraid of what that would entail. But I was so tired of fighting intellectually what I had known at this point to be true. And so I told him, Lord, I give you one week. For one week, I am going to stop fighting intellectually and I'm going to embrace you as my Lord and Savior. But it's just a trial period <laughs> because if I don't like it, at the end of the week, I'm taking my life back. <laughs> God has a sense of humor because he will take whatever you give him. I gave him one week and I remember falling asleep right after that, feeling peace because I could finally stop fighting what I had known to be true for a while and I could embrace and just rest mm. for just a week. I was taking a week of vacation yeah. <laughs> from my spiritual, intellectual fighting. Um, and um, it was several years later that I realized that the week was up, but by then I was committed. So <laughs> there was no turning back. So That's great. So um, uh, God had you on this... Uh, journey all along. And uh, for you, Stephanie, it was just a time uh, intellectually and emotionally. And, uh, and, and as so many people listening, uh, there's that trust issue because um, we only experience trust at the level that we can, and that's with humans. And now we're supposed to trust God, and that's, that's, a, hard, uh, uh, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. And so uh, for you, it was kind of let me see how this works. I'm going to surrender. I'm giving my life to you, and and I, I want to I want to see what you do and and mm -hmm. uh, what how I'm feeling and what experience I have from that. Mm -hmm. And the more I would get to know God, the more I realized how trustworthy He was. And I, there's an illustration that I love to use. I don't know if it's a true story, but the story is told of a slave girl who was being sold at a slave auction during uh, Lincoln's time. And so the story goes that Lincoln shows up at the slave market and he starts bidding to buy this slave girl and he wins the bid. And he walks up to the girl and she's looking at him like, oh, he's just another slave master, right? And she has no hope for her life. She, he's just going to be another harsh slave master. And he tells her, I've bought you, you're mine, but now I'm freeing you. You're free. And the girl looks up to him and she says, what do you mean I'm free? Does that mean that I can say anything that I want to say? And Lincoln says, yes, you can say anything you want to say. You're free. 
And she says, does that mean I can do anything that I want to do? And he says, yes, you're free. And then she goes, does that mean I can go anywhere I want to go? And he says, yes. And then the girl says, well, then, sir, I want to go with you. Hmm. And that's exactly, I think, what Christ brings is the freedom to follow him mm -hmm. and to realize that being my own master really wasn't what I wanted and that I was enslaved, way more enslaved when I thought I was my own master than when I surrendered to him and I chose to follow him because he was a much better master than I could ever be for my life. Mm. And that's, that's, what, that's how faith and trust develop, I think, in our mm -hmm. life as we surrender more and more and we, as we learn to go with him as opposed to go with ourselves. We find him to be a master in the best sense of mm -hmm. the term. Stephanie, you come to Christ when you're 17 years old, right? You're mm -hmm. here yes. for a year. Mm -hmm. So I was, I came to Christ at the end of my year. So that was in June. Mm -hmm. And uh, about a, three weeks later, you baptized me. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Baptized and here at the chapel, yeah. Yes, uh, on the old Circle Drive, yeah. you know, the yeah. old building. <laughs> was, it, uh, was the water warm or cold? Actually, it was warm. I have a funny story with that because the very first Sunday I arrived in the U.S., so a whole year before that, right, my very first Sunday, my American mom and dad bring me to church, which at the time I thought was the cultural thing to do, and they're baptizing. You are baptizing several high schoolers, and I remember the only thing I could remember was that somehow the mic was not off, so all I could hear was the bubbling <laughs> of, you know, as they were being dunked. And I remember thinking, honestly, this was the most ridiculous scene I had ever seen. <laughs> Here I was, you know, with all of my intellectual, arrogant pride, and a year later, I am right there in that pool. <laughs> and I don't know if the mics were off or what people could hear, but God has such a sense of humor with that. Yeah, so then cool. I went back to France. Now, when you go back to France, do you think, okay, you know, I go to the States, I, I'm immersed in this culture, I'm picking up English, and by the way, I trusted in Christ, and now is this going to be for real? What's what's kind of the reentry back into mm -hmm. your, your real life? Correct. Um, that's why I really wanted to get baptized, because I was afraid that I would forget what I had discovered to be true. So I wanted... When the waves of doubt would come, I wanted to be able to look back and to remember that there had been a time when I had believed enough to want to get baptized and make a statement. So my baptism was very important to me because it was, you know, it was like the Israelites putting those stones of remembrance. Mm -hmm. It was an altar to the Lord in my mm -hmm. memory that this mattered, this really happened. It was my own stone of remembrance. And so... It did take me several years to find a Christian church. I went back thinking I was the very first French Christian ever. <laughs> I had never met one before. Mm. And it did take me a while to meet a, an actual true Christian church. Mm -hmm. But then I did eventually, and I was able to start growing. This was all pre-internet, so my American mom and dad would send me a Bible and Bible studies and all of that stuff. So that, that went on for a little bit. And then I met my husband in college, and uh, he came to the Lord, and he, you know, got baptized, and uh, we started serving in our local church in Paris mm -hmm. for a few years. And at some point in there, when our oldest daughter was going into her freshman year, mm -hmm. uh, she and uh, her friend Allison that uh, was in the home that you grew up in, came over to visit you. They did. They were 14 years old, and we had the most wonderful time with them. Mm -hmm. There were some cultural shocks for them. I, my husband and I would always remember trying to think of what they would like to eat because we were trying to be careful not to feed them very weird French stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted them to enjoy a meal that they would appreciate. And I remember making a whole rotisserie chicken. And at the time when I served it, Allison had just this complete freak reaction because she, I didn't know, but she hated the idea of a whole bird. She didn't mind eating like a chicken <laughs> breast, but I served this entire chicken in front of her and she completely freaked out. And here I was trying to do the culturally relevant stuff and I was failing miserably. But other than that, I was impressed that you and Lori and then my American mom and dad would entrust us with mm -hmm. their precious daughters. It was such mm -hmm. an honor and a privilege to do that. And it was just lovely. So yeah. Well, we appreciate you. I, you know, there there are things in life you remember uh, forever, and uh, I still remember 
standing at the airport. That was when you ever. You know, that's when you didn't have to stay on one. You know, you you could go back yes. to, to the uh, to the gates, the base where people were getting on the plane, watching that plane fly off, and thinking, "What did we just do?" Correct. Yes, do? that was, was very, very brave thing. of you. But we were on the other end, <laughs> we you know, waiting for them, the and it worked. And mm-hmm. They had it. They had a great time. They had a great time. So um, you're married. Life's going on. You got a great degree. You're working in business. Uh, you're having a family. Um, keep talking about your spiritual journey. What's God doing uh, with you and and in you uh, during those times where um, you're kind of starting starting life with your husband and then kids and the whole bit? Right. So we started in Paris for a few years, and at that point. God allowed us to be part of a ministry that started a church downtown Paris. And so that was a lot of fun. So basically, you know, I would teach on Sundays and my husband would lead the worship. And it was just a whole lot of fun. And that's when we realized that we really wanted to invest in church in the broad sense and in using our spiritual gifts for him. And that led us to, uh, after our son was born, to actually move because we really wanted to follow the Lord where he would lead us. And our family dynamics became a bit difficult. Uh, any couple who has a child in a major city understands how difficult the challenges of raising a baby mm-hmm. in a big city can be. So we moved to North Africa where life would be a little bit easier and we felt we could really invest in local believers there. So we were there for nine years total and that just went by in a blur. What I learned through it all was to delight in the presence of the Lord through the study of his word, through fellowship, and specifically with prayer. Mm -hmm. That became a very important part of my life. Having been immersed in different cultures at that point, having lived in the U.S. and in France and now being in North Africa, I really realized how transcendent the word of God is and how you know, it really is a double-edged sword uh, that divides uh, marrow and joint and how God really speaks to all of his people through his word. And that developed in me a passion to delve into scripture for myself and then to, if God would allow me to be a bit of a translator for anyone who would be interested. And I started realizing that my ambition in life was to be a tour guide nothing more and nothing less for those who would want to understand scripture and that I would have the blessing and the honor to take them through a guide, a tour as a guide, a tour of scripture in some ways in a culturally relevant way. And doing that by deciphering what it meant to be a Christian in America is not the same thing as what it means to be a Christian in Paris or in North Africa. And then we lived in London as well. So that was another piece of the puzzle. So here we are, you know, um, forwarding 25 years where I've lived on three continents and four countries and five cities. And what I have understood is how Jesus is Lord and King over all people and tribe and nation. And yet he also speaks to each one of us in such an intimate and personal way that transcends culture. Yet he does it through the lens of where we live because he didn't speak to me the same way that he would have someone else who comes from a different era or a different background. That's how much he loves us. The fact that he crafts each one of us so uniquely and all of our life stories are eventually meant to draw us to him. That is a big God and that is a beautiful God. And it's an honor to get to know him more and more through scripture and one another. You know, what you said uh, really resonates, and that resonates to those listening. Um, it's always amazing to me. I can I can uh, preach a sermon here in uh, Pennsylvania uh, one week. I can take that same message and preach it in the slums of Mathari in Nairobi, Kenya, and it's just as relevant there. A few illustrations change, but God's Word is that living and active, and uh, it, it transcends culture mm-hmm. because it comes from the one who is, uh, who is a creator of all things. So I, I, I love that, uh, what you just said. Let's, um, let's talk about your passion. I, I, uh, I know that right now you are um, uh, leading a group of women uh, in a church. You're a director of women's ministry, 
and as I've watched um, some of your uh, videos, you you really what you just said. You are kind of a tour guide. You like to you like to take people, and you like to you like to help take the culture of Scripture, which is mm-hmm. first century, and bring it to the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. But not just as a an historical uh, talk. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that work in real life? So Stephanie, talk about. Uh, talk about your passion. I, I, um, I'm picturing you in a, in a uh, video I watched sitting in a chair and saying, some women are going to come here in a little bit, and I want to speak to the woman who's sitting in this chair. So right. talk about that passion. Yes. So I've discovered through everything that I've walked through in life that the ultimate goal has to be God himself. If we set our standard on anything, anything short, of God himself, we're going to be disappointed. And I've tried that, right, throughout my life, trying to fill all the voids with various things that were not God. The conclusion that I've come to is that we are called and created to delight in the glory of God. That's my passion. I want to delight in his glory. I want to find pleasure in his presence. I want to seek his face and gaze upon his face. You know, Psalm 20, 27, 4, kind of, and how the the beautiful thing is that I get to do that when I come alongside other women and watch them dig deeper with the Lord. Nothing brings me greater pleasure than to watch someone understands a little bit more how much Jesus loves her or how much she loves Jesus too, because it works both ways. It's beautiful to come to a realization that, wow, I truly am enjoying the Lord more than I used to. Not as much as I would like to, but more than I used to. That's progress. That's beautiful. That's worth celebrating the relationship of a daughter with her heavenly father. And so everything that I do is around bringing glory to God through delighting in his presence. I do that when I teach and what an honor I have. I am so privileged to get to teach my ladies every week. And they, they're, you know, they bear with me week in and week mm-hmm. out, weaknesses, warts and all. And we do this thing together where we spur each other on to delight in him deeper. We do that through fellowship. We do that through a thorough study of scripture. We do this face-to-face when we're together, but we also do this long distance. So through the podcasts, through my blog and my vlog, and through you know my books or the curriculum that I write, the goal is to fulfill what Jesus tells us, you know, are the two commandments, which is to love, love the Lord our God with everything in us, but also to love our neighbor as, our, as ourselves. And that's what we do when we fellowship with one another through the study of scripture. But also my heart increasingly goes to those in the world that do not have the privilege of doing what we do, which is to have the freedom to worship because we are physically free to worship and to honor our God, but also because we are spiritually loosed from the bondage of hell. And I really feel called to put flesh on the teaching of Jesus and his commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves by helping those among us who don't have that privilege. And there's so many people groups like that, but the one group that the Lord has laid on my heart for no reason that I can discern except that it's his will, um, are the people who are the victims of human trafficking. And so... I want to follow the Lord where he would have me. I have no idea what my role is going to be, but to come alongside women who, and children who have been a victim of this is something that I would be honored to, to mm. do in the future. So that's, that might be the next steps. But uh, life with the Lord is a life of surrender and of mm. wild surprises and the roller coaster. So I don't know what's around the bend, but mm. I do know that it's, it's a thrill mm. to follow him. So. Stephanie, we're going to talk about your uh, podcast here in just a second, uh, but I'd like for you to do something. You are able to, um, you have the privilege, as you say, of speaking to women uh, every week. And uh, there are going to be some listening today, and they, they need encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're tired. They've got a lot going on in their life, uh, whether it's um, on one you know, end, it's raising kids, and just the... Um, the non-stop responsibility, always a privilege, but uh, responsibility mm-hmm. as well. Uh, some on the other end, you know, they're at, at the stage where um, uh, they're trying to figure out uh, there's an aging parent and they're trying to figure out what 
brother or sister is going to go mm-hmm. take care of the parent or invite that parent into their home. So on top of all that, you have our culture that says you have to look a certain way, you have to be a certain mm-hmm. way, and our identity can often uh, um, kind of drift in that area. So just take just take a couple minutes to speak to those who are listening and, and uh, give them a word of encouragement. Mm-hmm. What I would say is very simple because if God didn't love you with an everlasting love that you cannot even begin to fathom, then you simply would not be alive. If you look at the myriad of possibilities of the ways God could have created you and engineered your life, he could have created you to live in a different century and a different culture, to look a different way, to think a different way, to have different physical limitations, but he created you to be just the way you are. And out of the myriad of possibilities, he handpicked exactly this particular set of circumstances. It might not be perfect, but it is the circumstances that he knows are going to allow you to draw closer to him. If you are alive and breathing on this planet today, it's because God, out of the millions of possibilities to make you, you, he made you just the way you are. So you might think you're one of 8 billion people. But the truth is you are one out of hundreds of billions of possibilities. And he narrowed it down to exactly the way you are. And he loves you with such infinite love that he became one of those humans. And with such infinite compassion that he endured similar circumstances to what you're enduring. He may not have dealt with aging parents per se, to take your example, but he understands what it's like to take on the responsibilities of caring for a dying world. And yet, he took it all away. And what we are left with is, to quote Philippians 3.10, we, want, we are left with a mission to want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship in his sufferings. Because that is how we become more and more aware of the heart of the Father is by experiencing what he's experiencing. So as hard as it is what you're going through, whether it is, you know, getting up at three in the morning to change the diaper of a toddler or the diaper of an aging parent, either way, the Lord is using that because he loves you so much. He wants you to become deeper acquainted with his love for you. And it's hard. No one is saying it's not. But he is watching over you and call out to him because he never turns back on someone who is asking him for help. Thanks for that, Stephanie. That's, that is, uh, that's well said, and that's, that's a great uh, encouragement. And I want uh, those listening to know that they can continue to hear uh, from you uh, yes. in a podcast, yes. uh, Gospel Spice. Tell us about the name Gospel Spice. I think the whole theme and vision and mission is uh, is tied up in those words. Absolutely. So Gospel Spice is the podcast that spices up your time with God. And it does that by reintroducing the original flavors that might have been lost by our 21st century Gentile Western culture. For example, you know, when I come home and I have to cook dinner, my go-to spice is going to be the all-purpose salt. Very convenient. The problem is if you put it on everything, that's all you're going to taste is the all-purpose salt. And sometimes when we approach scripture, we tend to do the same thing. We approach scripture with our own particular spice rack, which in the West tends to be all-purpose garlic salt for everything. And it's nice and it tastes good, but it's going to lack depth of flavor. And we forget that when we enter scripture, we are entering another culture, another time era, and another people group with another language. But when we reintroduce it, reintroduce the original flavors as Jesus intends, then instead of the all-purpose salt, we get this explosion of cumin and cilantro and cinnamon and cardamom. And all of a sudden, we go from what might come across as stale leftovers to this spice explosion. If you've never experienced your quiet time with God or your scripture as a little bit stale, then gospel spice is not for you. It's mm-hmm. only for those among us who have once thought that the Bible is a bit stale, 
who hasn't thought that? Mm -hmm. And so we're, we are following, in the first season, we're following the Gospel of Matthew, who is the most Jewish of the Gospel authors, and we are reintroducing the spices of the Gospel. One example that I like to say about that is, we all know the story of Jesus walking into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, right? But most of us don't know that, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew starts telling us the story of the Holy Week ending in the resurrection, he is presenting it as Jesus enacting every single step of a Jewish betrothal ceremony. But, and he doesn't tell us because it's kind of like, and I'm telling you, oh gosh, I was so tired today. I had to go to Starbucks and I ordered a double shot. I don't need to describe that. You know exactly what I just mm -hmm. did. But if I said that to Matthew, he would have no clue what I'm talking about. I would have to explain what Starbucks is. I would have to explain what coffee is, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and I'd have to explain what a double shot is. But I don't need to with you. Matthew, when he's talking to his Jewish audience, doesn't explain what his audience knows, but that we've lost, mm -hmm. like the betrothal steps. So when Paul tells us that Jesus is the bridegroom coming to collect his bride, he's not creating a new teaching. He's actually totally using what Jesus himself taught by reenacting those betrothal steps. So that's what we do at Gospel Spice mm -hmm. is that we reintroduce those original Jewish cultural flavors. So it's just kind of fun to read your Bible again. Uh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Well, we want to, we'll have all the links, uh, every, all the information, everything you need to know about Stephanie uh, on our notes. And we encourage uh, those who are listening to check out the podcast, Gospel Spice, check out Stephanie's website, uh, check out the curriculum and books and uh, resources that yes. are there. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we, uh, we uh, are excited to see uh, what God has done in your life and not just has done but is doing. Uh, he never he never stops the doing part. Yes, does he? he is exciting. It's a wild ride. You never know what you sign up for with him, yeah. but it's worth it. That's great. Well, Stephanie, it is so, so good to, to have you here. Thank uh, you. Uh, just to see again what God has done in your life, uh, the the American family you talk about, your American mom and dad, they have adopted you into their family, and so when they say Absolutely. how many kids you have, they say four because you are included. Absolutely, and I it, I'm speechless every time they do that because I don't mm -hmm. deserve it, but they're very very kind. And the Bible Chapel has played such a role even today as I was reconnecting with old friends from so many years ago as I'm here again. It's just so wonderful to feel like family. The Bible Chapel has played a huge role in my spiritual growth, and I'm just so grateful mm. for all of that. I, The debt could never be repaid. Well, we feel the same, and, and uh, it's so exciting to see how God uh, is using you, uh, not only in your church, but in our country and throughout the world through uh, the podcast. So God thanks so much, Stephanie, for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can check out more from Stephanie and listen to her podcast at gospel-spice.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.